0: Ah, uh, This is the Sports Report, however you may be listening, live from sunny San Luis Obispo, California, on a beautiful Tuesday morning. Thanks for making us a part of your day. I'm here with my co-host Dan Dempster, and we're ready to get into all things sports. Uh, Dan, it was a crazy weekend. Uh, I was all over the place, driving back and forth from Southern California, going to special meetings. All sorts of things, like peace deals in Libya, I don't know, it was crazy. Uh, how was your weekend?
1: <laughs> it was pretty good, a lot of football, and, you know, I just kind of hung out, watched football. It was a crazy weekend, there was, every game was good, pretty much.
0: Every game was good?
1: Every game. And how exciting was it to story. see
0: Washington get going and roll Stanford? As a guy from SoCal... I- I was happy to see Stanford get put away like that.
1: Yeah, you know, as a Cal fan, I always like to see the Cardinal go down. But, you know, Washington. Wow, Washington. I I did not see this coming. I mean, they have a lot of the same guys coming in from last year. They had so many freshmen last year, and it was only a matter of time before they got enough experience to really do some damage in the Pac-12 North. Uh, opening series for Stanford, two sacks right off the bat. There's... There's no doubt after that that Washington had firm control of that ball game.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to get into Cal Poly sports. Uh, North Dakota taking down Cal Poly, thirty-one to twenty-four. And when I'm doing my show prep this morning, I'm reading this article from Cal Poly, the Cal Poly staff writers and uh, sports specialists. There's a sports, there's a sports director for each sport at Cal Poly, and one of them's the football. Uh, sports director, and they write these articles, and I'm reading this article, and I'm thinking, okay, they lost. Okay, 31-24. North Dakota is a good, solid team in the FCS. I keep reading. Uh, Looks like Cal Poly lost the possession battle, uh, 27 minutes to 33 minutes. And I keep reading, and then I see, oh, without junior fullback Joe Prothero in the lineup, due to injury, the Mustangs turned to junior fullback Jared Muhammad, And he responded with 96 yards on 22 carries. And I read that and I say, I don't know if it's responding when you get 96 yards on 22 carries. And to me, it seems like this is a greater problem within the athletics program that it's passing over its weaknesses. Like, let's just be honest here. Let's just be honest that Joe Prothero averages six yards a carry and 140 yards a game and that we need the rushing game and we need his talent to win the time of possession and run our offense. So we just need to be honest as a program. And then I started to explore the website and I'm looking at the website and I start clicking on the recruiting page and there's a little recruiting tab when you go to the home athletic page and They have this article that says why Cal Poly athletics and it says Cal Poly athletic and academic excellence and I like that because at least the at least Cal Poly is honest about where their program stands they're not one of the powerhouses like USC or UCLA regionally they're honest about where they stand they say Cal Poly athletic and academic honesty or (laughs) excellence (laughs) I hope they're honest um And then the article goes on to say, why choose Cal Poly for your academic and athletic future? And uh, they start out with this one, and it says, for 23 years, Cal Poly has been rated the best public master's university in the West. Should that be number one? Does that make sense? Talking about a master's program when you're recruiting For undergraduate,
1: yeah. (laughs) Uh, It is a little misleading. You think about it. I mean, this is just one little instance, but... Yeah, you, I don't know if a lot of these kids know better. You know what, I'm, I'm not sure if I really knew what a master's was until, I don't know, a senior in high school. Like, when you're looking at this, it's like, yeah, oh, wow, number one, that's pretty good, but, you know.
0: Yeah, Yeah, yeah and I guess most of these, uh, most of the people who are really going to be reading these articles are probably the athletes' moms and dads who just want what's best for them. And so it makes sense to promote academic excellence. But, you know, I just keep going down this list. Number two, Cal Poly, well-known for its coaches with knowledge, passion, and strong interest in student-athlete experience. I do think that's a good point. You look at the coaches, whether it's Tim Walsh or uh, um, or Coach Calero with the basketball team or even the women's soccer coach, all these coaches are pretty... They're tenured for a long time, and the... Sports administration is pretty committed to them. I don't know. Is that something you see as well with the program?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I see a lot of that. You mentioned uh, Coach Calero. Yeah. yeah, you know, this these guys are very invested into Cal Poly campus. And you see it. I mean, I remember one of my journalism classes, classes uh, Coach Calero came in and talked about, you know, what is they do, like how he communicates with his team and you know gets them on like the right page, you know, they didn't do too great last season, but you see This program looks to be in a good state still. I don't Know
0: yeah, and I don't it's know not why like, but and it's not like the it's not like what Cal Poly here is trying to market itself as You know a USC or UCLA. It's saying oh, we're committed. They can't they don't have the funds They don't have the alumni base. We don't have the facilities But at least they're saying, you know, we're committed to these coaches. They have knowledge, passion, and strong interest in the student-athlete experience. And I think that shows by keeping these coaches around and building their ties to the community. And I see that with Walsh. I see that with Calero. And I see that with, uh, you know, even like the softball coach or the woman's woman's soccer coach. So, And then finally, at number three, I think think they hit some points that uh, student- Prospective student-athletes would really care about. Number three, San Luis Obispo's average yearly temperature high is 73 degrees.
1: Oh, that's, that's beautiful. You don't want to be playing in too cold weather. You don't want to be playing in too hot of weather. I mean, last week was pretty brutal for here Scorching. in San Luis Obispo.
0: Over 100 degrees. That was brutal.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you don't <laughs> you don't always want to be playing in 100-degree weather, but nevertheless, I mean, you go outside, you go on a run, it is the most beautiful place to go on a run.
0: Absolutely, and you come from you come for students who come from other states It's a big thing to be able to play in you know temperate temperate weather in the winter if you're in a winter sport uh, Number four totally true hikers bikers equestrians and other outdoor en- Enthusiasts are totally prevalent prevalent and slow. I don't think we need to spend more time on this If you're looking for an outdoor yeah. environment with a lot of active healthy good-looking people that's slow and um, and then number five, they fall apart again. I don't know I don't know who wrote this article. Opened in two thousand eight, Poly Canyon Village houses approximately two thousand seven hundred students, contains six hundred and eighteen furnished apartment units, and spans thirty acres. What happened there? Did they just forget their topic? What happened
1: what happened? Um, I don't know if I guess they're <laughs> just trying to sell the non existent housing that's here. Um I don't even know how many athletes live on campus past their first year. Yeah, honestly. they live in the
0: dorms their first year, and then you and go then, to your and then you go to your uh, your house, whether it, you're in the tennis house, swim house, one of the swim houses, football you're in the soccer guys house. live right up the street from me. Yeah, yeah
1: it's <laughs> I, I mean, don't know. I mean, they're like with the new dorms, maybe that c- can like um, you know brings more of a student body, not just athletes, but more of a student body back on campus. But it just doesn't seem like an environment that you think about when you come to college, I don't know, past your first year it doesn't seem right.
0: No. And I think I think again, a a lot of this stuff that's really on the website, they're targeting parents. The parents if my mom's reading this, my mom will say, Oh, my son will be taken care of. He's living in this nice housing <laughs> facility. They have Einstein bagels. So I think a lot of this is like the kids are just going to go and see how the coaches, if they're going to get playing time, if they like the facilities, if they could envision themselves training here every day. Um, another one that I think was written, you know, a lot for the parents was Cal Poly's expanded rec center. You know, if you're a student athlete, the rec center is great. You can go chill at the pool. You can you know, hang out at the beach volleyball course. But beyond that, you're going to be waking up early uh, every morning to do your strength training at Mott Gym. So you're not going to be using the rec facilities much. Um, Number six, I don't know why this isn't higher. Blue-green rivalry. This is huge. This is a huge selling point for many, many programs, not just soccer. Uh, Of course, for soccer, it's maybe number one or number two beyond Steve Sampson. And the, uh, the ability of the soccer program to churn out pro players. Uh, maybe number two for them would be the Blue-Green rivalry. The sellouts, it's the biggest rivalry in college soccer. And it's just, you know, a memorable experience for the players. Um, but beyond the soccer team, the tennis team, I know it's a big deal. Uh, there's like hundreds of people who show up just to watch the Blue-Green rivalry for tennis. Basketball. Um, basketball. There's the blue green rivalry, you know, really transcends the uh, just the soccer team, and we now have an agreement with Santa Barbara to keep track of whichever program wins more matchups in the blue green rivalry. There will be like a little uh, trophy that the school will get to keep that year. Well,
1: yeah, hopefully that will create a little bit of a spark. Um, you know, definitely something that's missing from that rivalry is the fact that UC Santa Barbara doesn't have a football team so very true i mean of course like that soccer game is one of the biggest sporting events that cal poly students look forward to each and every year when they get here is that uh blue green game and you know i would love to see what a football game would be like between these two programs i could just imagine how packed that stadium <laughs> would be if we could pack the stadium for a soccer game Come on, a football game between these two schools so close together. That's
0: a great point. And how many more people would be interested in attending football after they have a great experience at a Blue-Green Rivalry
1: game? I feel like a lot of people would. You know, I feel like a lot of students here want to watch this football team and want to go out and cheer for um, a football team, especially their own school's football team. But there almost seems to be spark lacking like the only real good like competitive rivalry game that we get is probably only against UC Davis yeah. you know geographically speaking that's I think the closest school in the conference for football you know
0: yeah and for me it's like why would I want to go to a football game if none of my friends want to go and I right. feel like it's going to be lame and not everyone is going to be there and and you see on I think for all the kids at Cal Poly or for me as a student if I'm a student at Cal Poly and I Turn on ESPN every day and see these 90,000 people stadiums in Tennessee or right, Alabama right. And it's a Saturday and these games everyone's all sold out. There's uh There's you know people partying before the games barbecuing tailgating and then I'm like, "Oh, we got the Cal Poly game against Montana." Like, my friends don't want to go. I don't know. It's just like it's hard when you see on TV these huge programs and then you think like we can't get the stadium filled. But I think, you know, how if Santa Barbara could have a program that would be something everyone could get behind and get excited about.
1: Yeah, you know, it just it's really a shame because this this is a good football team. They've, I mean they broke the rankings and unfortunately lost this past weekend, but you know they they play an exciting brand of football and you know you just You really want to see the student body get behind it, and unfortunately It's not really been the case
0: Yeah, so let's be honest about uh, since we're being honest about some of these marketing tactics that uh, Cal Poly's put up on their athletic website. Let's be honest about where all the programs stand Uh, Volleyball let's start off on a positive note volleyball is in a pretty good place. Uh, They outlasted CSUN They're still in the mix uh, in the conference in the Big West conference even after losing to uh, Hawaii um, And losing another conference match Uh, They came back. It was encouraging Cal Poly rallied from a 2-1 deficit to win their final two sets and defeat CSUN uh, In five sets. It was a real battle. They even were winning uh, their third set Uh, But then ended up falling and dropping at 24 to 26 and then they really cruised through the last two sets winning 25 to 14 and 15 to 7 Uh, Adley Van Winden continues to be outstanding as a sophomore uh, Leading the team with 24 kills CSUN's uh, Leading uh, uh, Killer I guess you could call it a killer (laughs) uh, Who would end points Uh, Aaron Owens only had 19 so Adley's outstanding for the team uh, senior Taylor Grunwald contributed 11 kills as well and junior Taylor Nelson continues to be a leader on the team uh, earning 65 assists and 13 digs so I'm impressed with those girls uh, we'll have to get them on the show soon
1: yeah um, moving on to women's soccer um, Cal Poly was shut out 4-0 on the road Cal uh, State Fullerton Uh, They dropped to six, six, six and one, one and one in the Big West. Uh, You know, falling back to 500 on the regular season and in their conference season. uh, They'll look to, you know, improve on the road. Long Beach State, they're four, five, and two, uh, zero, zero, one in conference. 6 p.m. kickoff on Thursday. You know, Cal Poly's going to look to, definitely win that manageable matchup and they'll come back home to uh host CSU Northridge who is five two and five
2: all and, right yeah so we got a
0: lot of numbers there yeah keep those all together listener sort through all those numbers uh Cal Poly will host UC Irvine next Thursday for a 7 p.m Big West match inside Mo athletics that's for women's volleyball I apologize. Uh, so that's next Thursday. You can go see the women's volleyball team. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of losses now because things are tough for a lot of programs besides women's volleyball. Um, for the big programs, that is Cal Poly men's soccer, really bad loss to UC Riverside, 0-1. Uh, to one. Cal Poly lost this game uh, again on offense. They have a really inconsistent offense this year. We talked to Justin Dillon about it last week, how he scored... Uh, six of the team's seven goals this year, and they're just completely reliant on him up top, and he's on an island up there, and he can't he can't carry the entire team on his back, not in a conference as strong as the Big West with teams like Santa Barbara and Cal State Fullerton, and now even Riverside, who has a winning record uh, this year. So I think for the team going forward, you know, the, the season's still salvageable. Uh, they've got a matchup uh, at home against CSUN on Thursday so Really that's almost a must-win game for them because they're now they're oh and two in conference and they have a losing record They're two and six and one so this is a must-win game on Thursday for the team And I think they'll come out strong and it'll be interesting heading into the Santa Barbara game
1: Yeah, you know, I think a couple more Mustangs are gonna have to step up like you said I mean Justin can't do it all on his own but You know heading into this conference season I'd, I would be surprised if none of these guys stepped up. I think you oh, I get, think they will. I think they will. You know, there's going to be a few guys who play really well and compliment Justin. I want to bounce back to a little better news here. Cross-country doing well at Stanford Invitational. Uh, the women finishing second behind Stanford. And the men also uh, tallied... Uh, plenty of top five finishes.
0: Yeah, Peyton Billow, outstanding mm-hmm. runner. Remember com- covering her last year as a freshman. How'd she do?
1: Uh, Peyton Billow finishing second behind the Pac-12 Freshman of the Year in All-American in 2014. Uh, she was only edged out by 6.3 seconds. Wow,
0: outstanding. So good for the Mustangs. Um, and when we talked about uh, Cal Poly loss to North Dakota. uh. 31 to 24. They're outrushed or er, by one yard, <laughs> 203 to 202. Surprising. That's not a good sign. Very surprising, not a good sign yeah. for the Mustangs. Usually they're trying to at least outrush a team by what? 100 150 yards. Oh, e- easy. So and then they were close in passing yards. So I think that shows that North Dakota was a little able a little bit to disrupt the Cal Poly game plan. Dan O'Graves was forced to make some throws, and he did. It's just For the amount of yards they had. You know you think about. It's interesting. I'm thinking about NFL teams. And I'm thinking about. um, College teams at the FCS level. Cal Poly had you know. Between their rushing and passing yards. They had 421 yards. Total yards. In in the NFL. That's going to translate. For a lot of teams to 30 plus points. But for the Mustangs on this day. It translated to 24. So I think it's just. That was a matter of points. Not offensive production even though they did uh not produce as much as they would have liked rushing the ball but they got they got by far more passing yards than normal they're usually passing between you know 80 and 130 yards a game
1: yeah i mean this year they're definitely featuring a little more balance between that pass and running game but you can't if they're still running the ball uh a lot. Wait a lot, yeah. For the amount and of yards. Without they got. pro throw in there, it makes it a little hard to keep that uh, rushing attack at top notch.
0: Yeah. So that's Cal Poly Sports. Uh we'll be back with all things pro football, college football, and anything else of relevant news. This is the sports report.
3: Welcome to another segment of the Baseball Sports Report. I'm
2: here with my co-host JB. I am Nate Edelman and JB, how are you? I'm doing great today. It's, uh, it's been a good day. Baseball season, game 162 ended yesterday on Sunday and uh, ready to, you know, hit all these topics today.
3: Before we get into any sort of Black Monday firings or preview of the playoffs, we first have to play some.
4: You know, friends, so many people have wished me congratulations on a 67-year career in baseball, and they've wished me a wonderful retirement with my family. And now all I can do is tell you what I wish for you. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring, oh, rest assured, once again, it will be time for Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon, wherever you may be. Well, just in
3: case of you have been uh, living under a rock for 67 years, that was uh, Vin Scully, the uh, legendary broadcaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And, uh, that was his final goodbye, and I actually, I actually, uh, woke up on Sunday and I'm like, I have homework to do, but I am going to sit through this entire baseball game and listen to Vin while I still can, and it was truly a special experience, I've, you know, we're only college students, we haven't, you know, we've only had a portion of Vin's time here, or time as a, we only had to watch a little bit of him, but, he has really touched all of us and will surely be missed.
2: Oh, definitely. I think to all the Los Angeles natives and Dodger fans and baseball fans just everywhere know what Vin Scully meant to the game of baseball. And it's really a sad moment to see him go, not even going to do any postseason games. Uh, I wish him the best in his retirement to him and his family. And, you know, look forward to who the Dodgers bring in as their new broadcaster Tough shoes to fill, but, you know, there is excitement going forward. Yeah, he really just
3: left a mark that will never be undone or retouched or any adjective that will mean that he will always be with us forever, and we are super lucky as Dodgers fans and whoever are Dodgers fans listening throughout our KCPR studios and station, and he will... He will be like no other. but let's let's not let's not uh, you know, mourn too much because he said that um, instead of be sad, you should smile that it happened. But you know who's not smiling? The teams that had to fire their managers
2: on Monday. Oh yeah, Black Monday has come. It, it has arrived. It has taken many victims before and it has taken some more this year after the season ended. Uh, just to name a couple who we will not be seeing, uh, at least with their current teams in 2017. You know, Robin Ventura has been fired. or His not being his contract is not being renewed with the White Sox. Uh, Ch- Chip Hale of the D-backs is also being fired. And Rob Weiss of the Colorado Rockies also not returning to the team. That's a shocker. Uh, yeah, I thought uh, he did fairly well with the Colorado Rockies organization. You know, w- weren't winning records, but, you know, they kept his team winning when they needed to. Uh, they kind of played spoiler a little bit, uh, often more times than not. So, very surprising. I thought he had the team going in a very good direction.
3: Yeah, it it made sense for the... Uh Diamondbacks and the White Sox to get rid of their management because they were just simply bad and they needed change and especially for the Diamondbacks who somehow made the Dodgers sweat a little bit in the 2013 NL race for the for the division, they just completely fell off a cliff and they signed Zach Grinke who was a former Dodger and, Nothing happened. They actually did not improve at all, and a lot of people predicted them to, you know, maybe make the wild card, contend for the division, you know, with Paul Goldschmidt, and they have some talent around them and Zach Greinke. but nothing came out of that. So it is just another classic addition, but last week we were talking about what-ifs. What's going to happen? We just knew that the Dodgers were in, the Cubs were in, and not much else.
2: Yeah, uh, the last week uh, has really given us more perspective on this 2016 playoff uh, picture. We have all the games set uh, in the NL. Obviously, we have the Dodgers playing the Nationals, and then we have the Giants playing the Mets for that wild card spot. And then the winner gets to face the dreaded Cubs offense.
3: Yeah, for all you Giants fans that go find me and say. Oh, it's an even year, dude. It's an even year. Well, guess what? You could still say that because it's you guys just made it in for the playoffs. You guys just squeaked in. You made it in by one game thanks to the new rule where there are two wildcard teams instead of one. And you could thank um, the Cardinals and you could thank the Dodgers for just blowing it this weekend or past weekend in San Francisco.
2: Yeah, that was kind of disappointing from the Dodgers. I was not expecting them to get swept at all uh, I, w- I was hoping they'd put up more of a fight but honestly it seemed like the whole week they were just still celebrating uh their clinch when they uh clinched at home the previous weekend
3: the moment when i was re- when i realized that they weren't trying was when brand mccarthy came in on friday and for those of you who are listening and are like oh my god these are just dodger homers whatever no um, Brandon McCarthy is, Has a special name because he is specially bad and I He came off of injury July, August, late August Or something like that and, and he Could not throw strikes my uh, dad Was at a game with, with his buddy and He uh, just texted me saying McCarthy can't even Hit the strike zone and somehow in An important game where the Dodgers were trying To catch the Nationals for home field He uh, Manager Dave Dave Roberts just Throws him in there, and he goes, hmm, "Let's see what happens." Or I don't even know what's going through his mind because he gives up walk, single, single, walk. Just it's just ridiculous. I, yeah. I just
2: ugh. Yeah, I was watching the game in my living room, and I went to the kitchen to grab a snack, and I come back, and it's bases loaded, no outs.
3: Yeah, it's just just beautiful. Like that's just it's just genius. But you know, whatever they just you know they're they're resting their guys. They're just going through the motions. You know, it's kind of hard to watch Vince Scully call a. Uh, Final score of like eight to one on Sunday. So that was kind of hard to swallow. But, yeah, you know,
2: I wish they would have put up more of a fight, especially for Vin's last call. Uh, it would have been more, you know, storybook ending, even though they did clinch the division on Vin's last home broadcast. But, you know, it would have been nice to send him out even, even with more of a fight than eight to one.
3: Yeah. But, yeah, it's just, it's just, um, it's a shame, but um, for we have a we have a uh, break off, but then for a little baseball, but then we start up again on Tuesday with the AL Wild Card. It is the Baltimore Oil
2: Orioles and the Toronto Blue Jays. And, and I'm, am I the only one who's not excited for this Wild Card game? Yeah, I just. Maybe it's just because we're on
3: the West Coast and we're dealing with two AL East teams. Fun fact: three teams from the AL East made it this year. So congratulations to all the other AL divisions that cannot muster up a formal team to uh, make the wild card or both wild card positions because there are now two. But the starting pitchers is Tillman and Stroman. Stroman for the Blue Jays has an outstanding, I'm just being sarcastic, record of 9-10, and 10, and he is their go-to guy in the playoffs,
2: which I find very weird. The kid has heart, though. The kid pitches with a lot of fire. Uh, reminds me a lot of Jose, the late Jose Fernandez. Uh, the kid just has good stuff. Uh, the numbers don't show it, but I think uh, expect the Blue Jays to you know come out strong and Marcus Stroman to pitch uh, a really good game on Tuesday. Yeah, he, it's, I don't think that
3: the Blue Jays really have that many options in terms of starting pitching, because they lost David Price last year, I believe he was on the Blue Jays? Yeah. Okay, yes. So they lost David Price last year, which was a blow, but they have him going on um, normal rest, I assume, for the game against the um, Orioles, so that'll be something to watch. That game will be on TBS, 5 o'clock Pacific time. And on Wednesday, it's the showdown between the Giants and the Mets. Um, it is Madison Bumgarner versus Noah Syndergaard. It's on also on five o'clock.
2: And man, do I feel bad for all those hitters who have to face either Bumgarner or Syndergaard? You know, each of their own throwing. Yeah, it's first team hard. to two
3: runs wins. Is is that <laughs> how that goes? First team to get on base wins. It's yeah, it's because especially because you know Bruce Bogie's is gonna just play everything play everything out of Madison Bumgarner. He's going to go want to go eight. Okay, cool. Want to go nine. Okay. You know, if he has, if, yeah. if that's appropriate at the time, but who do you
2: think is going to win that game? I honestly, even, even as a Dodger fan, I expect the giants to go in there and take care of business with the, I mean, they just have everything going their way coming off a, a sweep of their NL West division title holders and throwing Bumgarner, uh, you know he he and the postseason just kind of go together like peanut butter and jelly. Uh, huh. They he has been dominant. He proved that in 2014 uh, when he came in to pitch the last couple innings and secure that World Series victory. He just proves over and over again that he's a clutch pitcher. So I, I do expect the Giants to go into New York and um, take care of business.
3: Yeah, I agree with you just because I just know in the pit of my stomach that the Giants will somehow find a way and play the Cubs and make me scared, but that is just my bias, even though I like to acknowledge my bias, which, you know, some people some people don't do, but you know, you, you talked about peanut butter and jelly with the Giants in the postseason. I'm going to take a different direction, and I'm going to say that the Dodgers in the postseason are like oil and water. It is just very difficult <laughs> to muster some of the games they went through like the last second heroics of Matt Adams and like Matt Adams is on the Cardinals when the Dodgers played the Cardinals in the division series a couple years ago
2: and then heartbreaks getting bounced last year against the Mets was not an easy pill to swallow
3: oh it was very difficult it was yeah to say the least that was hard but the Dodgers open up on Friday um very unusual start time for the MLB. Thank you. It is 2.38 Pacific time, because 2.38 happens to be my favorite time of the day. I am just kidding. So that is that is very bizarre, and I'm just thinking, why do that to the West Coast? Why do that at all to baseball? Why Why would you put a game so early, but when there are two teams on the West Coast, one has to get, I guess, screwed over time-wise. But who do you think... Well, it's Kershaw versus Scherzer. That's that, going to that, be another one. That is also
2: going to be an exciting game to watch. You know, Kershaw doesn't have that many innings under his belt this uh, this year, so is he coming in 100%? I guess only he would know, but I'm excited to see what the game's best pitcher is going to bring out in this uh, NLDS opener uh, against Scherzer. And the Dodgers should not take him lightly at all. You know, uh, Serger has what? He had two no-hitters last year and then almost another one this year. I mean, the guy can pitch, definitely.
3: Yeah, and the Dodgers haven't faced Scherzer this year, which leaves me to question what's going to happen. And it's also the question of how far is Kershaw going to go? Because in the past, um, former manager Don Madden would just... Run, I wouldn't say run Kershaw to the ground because that's kind of mean but he would pitch him until the final out and sometimes he would over pitch him and put him in bad situations like if it's the it's like a 6th, 7th inning and man, men are on base and Kershaw's pitches are high he'll keep him in there instead of and then Kershaw would give up a run and then that would be the game so
2: we'll see what happens this year. I think Dave Roberts has done an excellent job of managing his starting pitchers this year yeah, the circus and merry-go-round of that rotation which has been all year uh, I think he's done an excellent job of you know knowing when to pull his pitchers as evident when he pulled R- Rich Hill from his perfect game and Ross Stripling out of his no-hitter I think he was really looking for the best interest in the team and making it into postseason so hopefully all those decisions pay off and the Dodgers starting pitching you know Shows why they deserve to be in the playoffs. And hopefully, the bullpen can back them up. You know, they had the best bullpen uh, in the regular season. And before, the bullpen has always been a question mark for the Dodgers. So, you know, we'll see if they can carry this team deep into the postseason.
3: Yeah. It's remember when um, everyone was was giving uh, Dave Roberts flack for yanking yanking, uh, Rich Hill for the no hitter. And because you mentioned that, I thought I'd say this. And then Look at him now, you know, that he was rested again for blister issues, which I don't know how that makes any sense, but I'm not a blister expert. So I'm going to just leave that out there. But good call by Dave Roberts. But thinking ahead, because we have a weekend of baseball games. We have the, um, on Friday, we have at 1 o'clock Eastern, we have the wild card team from the AL facing the Rangers. Then um, I'll just jump back to Pacific. Then one thirty p.m. Pacific, Red Sox and Indians. Then Dodgers-Nationals, which we touched up about. And then at uh, 6 o'clock Pacific, we have the NL wildcard and Cubs. So it is a full day of games on Friday. Saturday, we have the Dodgers and the Nationals, really an NL day. And then blank versus Cubs. And then Sunday is the AL. So by the time um, next week rolls around, a lot of things will make more sense. And I'm very excited.
2: I'm also very excited. You know, with this Postseason has the potential to go into November, as it did, as it has only a couple times before, where you know Derek Jeter uh, gets his nickname Mister November. I'm hoping we see another Mister November. I hope the World Series goes to Game Seven, and we find we have one of the most exciting postseasons uh, in my recent memory. I think just the pieces at play here with uh, you know the Cubs' dangerous offense. Uh, the Giants in an even year, the the Dodgers picking it up in the second half. I think there's a lot of storylines that could lead to a lot of excitement in this postseason.
3: Oh, especially in and in, in the King of the Hill will be the Giants. I mean the Giants. The Cubs. The King of the Hill will be the Cubs and will and well it's they they looked at times unstoppable during the regular season. So but everything resets in the playoffs nothing really matters in the regular season we've seen that before we've seen like the giants become the wildcard team and win the world series basically on the road because they have they never had home field advantage but everything resets and it's just we'll see who t- who comes on top and who do you think who do you think will be the most established or big winner coming out of this weekend where we go wow this team is looking Awesome. Uh,
2: I think I'm going to have to wait to see who wins this wild card. And then after that first game against the Cubs, uh, I think, like I mentioned earlier, I think the Giants are going to win the wild card game. And I like that matchup, the Giants Cubs, personally, because, you know, it just makes the road for the Dodgers a lot easier. But I really think the winner of that Giants Cubs is going to, you know, Kind of set the tone for the rest of the postseason and how it's going to play out.
3: Yeah, I agree. I agree with you on that. I think that on the other side, I will take the Blue Jays in the wild card game just just because they have more playoff experience. But um, it's it's just there. Are, whoever wins between Giants and we're just assuming the Giants win. If the Mets win, then you know reset. Uh, but we. The Giants and Cubs will be a really gritty series because in the regular season, they kept it close. The Dodgers kept it close with the uh, Cubs as well. The Nationals also kept it close. So there are are definitely more eyes on the NL, but looking at the AL, we have like the quiet series of the Red Sox and the Indians where no one really out here is talking about because who, who are the Indians? It's just always that question of like, what are they doing?
2: Yeah, like the Indians kind of came out of nowhere to win that AL Central, but then again, I the AL Central, when you think of the AL Central, nothing really comes to mind except for the Royals, you know, who won last year but couldn't make the playoffs again this year. Uh I mean, the Tigers were decent during the regular season and tried to put a try to string together a couple games this year this year towards the end, but you know, it really there was really not much happening in that AL Central so the Indians just kind of quietly kept on their way, kept winning, you know, eventually clinched and uh you know, we'll see. They got a they got a a young core. Uh so we'll see how they play out in their, you know, first major playoff appearance since uh, I don't even know when.
3: I I it's it's been a while. It's maybe like when they had CC Sabathia back when he was in his prime, but um the Royals not making the playoffs after winning the World Series last year is really bizarre, especially because it's baseball. And the NFL makes more sense because there's more parity and things can happen, there are injuries. But baseball seems to be more predictable, at least heading into playoff time. So I'm definitely surprised about that. The Yeah, the Indians emerged from the AL Central, and it was first kind of like a joke. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, win for... Win, Cleveland, Cleveland, you know, like LeBron, you know, there's he's LeBron James is supporting, you know, the Indians or whatever. Haha, it's a joke. We're great, well, it's not a joke that they're winning. But, you know, it's like a play on words or a phrase that this that's just never stopped in Cleveland. So they are definitely one of the more interesting dark horse teams that really no one is talking about, but they're facing a very talented Red Sox team with players like Xander Bogarts and Mookie Betts that I have that I lathered over last week with compliments and praise so hopefully they don't let me down but i will still i'm gonna go with my gut and i will take the red Sox in that series
2: yeah i'm gonna have to agree with you i just think the red Sox have been you know for the most part dominant all season uh they really put it together uh mookie Betts uh has proven to be uh you know a strong offensive option for this team uh 30 plus homers this year to go with ortiz's 30 plus homers um it's just a great young group for the Red Sox, and I think they just purely just out outpower this uh, this Indians team. That you know, aside from the you know, their pretty decent rotation, they uh, they just don't. I don't see them scoring enough runs to beat the Red Sox.
3: Yeah, it's going to come down to playoff experience and runs. Well, duh, but. Um, the Red Sox definitely have more of a powerful offense, but um, before we wrap it up, give me—I'm gonna let's do rapid fire style. So I'm gonna give you a team, and you're gonna tell me if they win, or you're gonna you're gonna tell me uh, winner or loser. All right, you ready?
2: Let's go for it.
3: All right, Orioles, Blue Jays, Blue Jays, Giants, Mets, Giants, um, Blue Jays, Rangers.
2: I'm gonna go with the Rangers.
3: Red Sox, Indians. Red Sox. Dodgers-Nationals?
2: I'm going to go Dodgers game one. How about series? I think the series is going to go to uh, to the end. Uh, I, I think the Dodgers end up edging the Nationals purely uh, the pitchers duel and the Dodgers offense was just potent all second half. Uh, so, I think the, the starting rotation for the Dodgers edges is what ends up ed- edging the Nationals and them being able to score enough runs.
3: Yeah, it's just, it, it's going to come down to will the Dodgers finally get over that hump and win an important playoff series? But we are closing, we are wrapping at wrapping time. And um, thank you for joining us on another edition of KCPR um, Sports. Well, it's baseball edition. And um, we'll be right back. But well, we're back. What a week in the NFL!
0: So many surprises, so many misconceptions about how the season was going to go. You know, the Cardinals are one and three, the Panthers are one and three, and now the Broncos are four and zero. So I've been I've been surprised by some of these narratives that I didn't expect to see. Um, and the Cowboys three and one with Dak Prescott. So I don't know. What do you think?
1: Um. I think we can't really say anything for now um, you're just gonna have to go week to week and see how these games turn out I'm um, I'm really surprised like you said I mean look at the Panthers and Falcons Panthers are 1-3 and three. this game um, really the score was closer than it actually was It was still a 15 point loss for the Panthers for the Falcons to put 48 points Matt Ryan over 500 yards Julio and, Julio Jones 300 yards. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. The Falcons are back on the rise. They're my surprise team right now. I did not see the Falcons coming out.
0: 3 and 1. Like I think if you asked a bunch of guys what the rec- the Falcons record is right now on the street, a bunch of guys who like football, like if you asked me and I didn't fall if I and I didn't do this radio show, I'd be like, "Uh, eh, they're 2 and 2, 1 and 3." But they're 3 and 1. They're doing well. Uh, another shocker. The shocker. <laughs> Bills 16, Patriots 0. I didn't get a chance to watch this game.
1: I, you know, after the Patriots had a touchdown, a long touchdown to Julian Edelman called back, at like the first first series might have been the first play, and after that it just seemed like they were completely deflated. Uh, the Bills, you know, controlled this thing from the outset, really, and Kobe Brissett couldn't really do anything. I don't know if it was that f- uh, injury that really kind of mess with them or you know just the expectation that uh, I don't know that we're the Pats we're at home we're not gonna lose this is their first the first time they are shut out in Gillette Stadium yeah
4: Pats and
0: were. here's Rex always entertaining Rex here's what he
4: had to say after the game God it feels good to finally win here been close about six times finally one one was great. Perfect. Uh, I can say this for sure, that that was about as good a weekend as you can have. I don't know what you're talking about, but it was a damn good weekend, and I appreciate it. No, I mean, it's satisfying, but let's face it, they had a player out. This just in, they had a player out, and we had our team, so, you know, we expected to win. No, my sources inside the New England Patriot building said that Jacoby Brissett would be the quarterback. How's that? I'll stir some stuff up. Who was it? Who was it?
0: I don't know who it was. Wow, that's hilarious. That's hilarious, Rex. No, I think Rex, the thing with <laughs> Rex is, uh, like, you can he can go back and forth like that constantly. And, you know, he was 0-2 and, and fighting for his life, and they crushed the Cardinals, and now they crushed the Patriots, and now he's back to being himself. But, you know, he's a totally different person when he's 0-2 than he is when he's 2-2. <laughs>
1: Definitely, you know when you know when he's winning he, he's feeling himself He's gonna let you know that definitely but you know, he's not afraid to like let it known when his team is doing badly either he's at times very critical of his teams and You know he's in the end. He's about the business and getting his team on track each and every week um, It's gonna be interesting to see how that AFC turns out with the bills and pats yeah you can't find more
0: of a contrast in coaching styles than rex ryan and bill belichick Uh, seahawks another one that i (laughs) i was down on after the loss to the rams but the development of russell wilson as a pocket passer continues to impress me i mean the the progression from his rookie year until now uh, he's limited with his ankle injury, and he's absolutely throwing the ball—three hundred nine yards, three TDs, twenty-five of thirty-two. Uh, has a good repertoire with uh, Doug Baldwin and Jimmy Graham is finding himself.
1: I'm yeah. excited.
0: I'm excited about the passing game in Seattle now, and wish I had maybe had some more patience with Jimmy Graham.
1: Yeah, you know he Jimmy Graham putting up a hundred yards in these past two games. Uh, had a touchdown last week. Uh, really helping out. Uh, especially Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin, a lot of the passing game was falling on him. Um, you know, he needed to pick up uh, the production. With you know Marshawn Lynch leaving now, uh, they need. They just need each and every weapon they can get. You know, they just picked up C.J. Spiller. He had. I think he got in for a score early in the game. You know, they just got to get contribution from everyone. It doesn't have to be one guy each and every week. You know, they got to get it collected. And I think Russell Wilson can really bring that team together. It's going to be interesting. You know, the Cardinals are kind of down. The Niners are kind of down. They're not really totally in it. This Rams team is a wild card. Man, I mean, an absolute wild card some, team. They've had some decent wins these past few weeks. But just that, that first weekend, that opening weekend, I guess we just got to I'll put that out of our minds because that was that was ridiculous. And they've been
0: three and oh since. Yeah. So another thing I thought about this year is last year it was all about the franchise quarterback. It was about Cam. It was about Peyton. Even if he couldn't carry his team, he could lean his team. It was about bet Big Ben or all these franchise quarterbacks. And now this year I'm thinking, is it more of a balancing attack? Because even the Steelers, what makes the Steelers special? It's Levion. It's Antonio it's D'Angelo now they have these two back sets they put uh Levion out in the to receive the ball and then you have the Broncos with just such a strong defense and Trevor Simeon is by no means a franchise established franchise quarterback but they're demolishing teams and then you think about I just think about all these teams I think about the Patriots how complete they were outside of this loss to the bills um I see a lot of teams where, you know the rushing games mat. Rushing game matters and defense matters. The Colts, the Colts can't do anything. Andrew Luck's an, a, a beast and he can just lob the ball up, put the ball on a dime. Can run, he can avoid sacks, but it hasn't mattered for them. You know they're one and three and they really could be zero and four if not for that great pass to Ty Hilton last week. So I think I think it's interesting to see how. How teams are needing more than a franchise quarterback this year?
1: Yeah, you know, you bring up those examples of Pittsburgh, and then conversely, the Patriots, the Patriots. or you know, the Broncos. Pittsburgh does have a very complete team. You mentioned Le'Veon, even D'Angelo right behind him, uh, Antonio Brown catching balls out on the wing, but he, they, they still have that big-time quarterback, and I think that's what can set teams apart still, is having that big-time quarterback. You had Big Ben throw for, what, five touchdowns last night? Or on Sunday night? Um, And you also have players like Matt Ryan throwing for 500 yards and leading their team against Cam Noon. And then you got still some talented quarterbacks like um uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. But I mean you still have like complete teams like the Lions were looking pretty decent, but Matt Safford didn't show up. Right? And
0: Yeah, I think I think what's interesting is you can you can uh, you can see these teams that are talented but they may not be sustainable. Like the Broncos are 4-0, they're a great team, but come come late November, come December, if Simeon starts faltering, you can cross them off the uh the list of teams that can win the Super Bowl because you need strong quarterback play during the playoffs and the end of the season. So I think it's I think it's you need the running back, you need the defense, you need the receiving core, you need the talent all around to be a good team, but you know, how sustainable that that talent is and how success how sustainable your success is, I think is something that comes from a franchise quarterback. Uh the Redskins uh, another example of a team, a coach's job that's kind of been saved. You know, we talked about Rex Ryan, who was 0-2 and now 2-2. Now the Redskins 0-2, now 2-2, off two consecutive wins. Um, I think that's another job that's been saved. Uh, the Texans, you know, I think benefit from an easy schedule and an easy division. They're 3-1. and Jaguars, another team that they've kind of taken a coach off the hot seat, Gus Bradley, 1-3. and um, But the Colts losing again. Uh, is their coach on the hot seat? I th-
1: I think uh, Chuck Pagano is definitely kind of feeling some heat right now. Uh, three point loss to the Jags. I mean, they Jags had that game out of reach pretty early, and uh, Andrew Luck almost led that team back uh,
0: by himself.
1: Yeah, twenty one points in that fourth quarter, pretty much all by him. Like we said before, you need you can have that star quarterback like a Big Ben. But if you don't have the pieces around you, you can't, you lose to the Jags in London. Exactly. And yeah.
0: Yeah. And then conversely, you see the Ravens who were undefeated um, and they don't have the most talent on the field, uh, but they have Joe Flacco. And now we are saying, you know, you may have the talent, but it may not be sustainable. Now, conversely, they may not have the talent, got kind of carried by Joe and their defense. And now things are starting to stagnate because of the roster. They lost to the Raiders uh, 27-28. to I think the Raiders are one of those teams. I'm excited to see what Derek Carr could do and how long this season he can keep up his clutch play because he's had multiple game winners already this year in New Orleans and uh, at home against the Ravens.
1: Yeah, you know, he doesn't put up too many numbers in the books. that, uh, But he gets crucial touchdowns. But, yeah, he's still had four touchdowns he's he still through for all of the Raiders touchdowns and you know with Derek Carr he's got a lot of weapons he's got Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper and he's got backs like Latavius Murphy and uh, Washington that defense is looking pretty good too they they're still kind of giving up some bad plays that you know.
0: That can kind of be something a young team struggles with.
1: Definitely like young team struggles. Definitely too many penalties for this Raiders team, but I really was impressed by their pass rush for one. Khalil Mack got his first sack of the season. He was looking he had a couple spin moves out there looking like Dwight Freeney. (laughs) You know, he this Raiders D is looking pretty good. They look like they're a young team with a lot of talent that can make some plays. They just got to focus and hone it in
0: most definitely okay we were running out of time we're gonna run through some college football um, Cal getting the upset of Utah Cal's a weird team um, only one at home <laughs> only one at home just beat just beat ranked teams at home beat Texas beat Utah um, and then another California school seeing Diego State following falling to South Alabama kind of disappointing it would have been fun to see a Mountain West team stay in the top 25 mm-hmm. but this was such a revealing week in college football. Like, Michigan State is done now. They lost to Indiana, twenty-four to twenty-one. They're two and two. They're out of the college football playoff race. Um, but there's a lot of teams that are still in it that you might not think of. Uh, we'll get to the biggest games, but I want to start out with these teams that you might not think of who still have a chance at the college football playoff. That would be number uh, thirteen Baylor beating Iowa State, forty-five to forty-two, and number fourteen Miami beating Georgia Tech. Both of these teams are totally still in it. Miami's undefeated. Think about how strong the ACC is right now. You have Louisville, you have Florida State, you have Clemson, and you have an undefeated Miami. When you have a strong Miami and a strong Louisville, this is a really strong conference.
1: Yeah, you know, they're kind of taking the spot of the SEC. The SEC's kind of... Faltering this year. Faltering a Ole little Miss bit. at 3-2. and
0: two. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, Ole Miss had some tough losses to Bama and Florida State. And Bama's still number one, but And Tennessee is moving on up. They're still undefeated. But, wow, this ACC conference. And that was a wonderful game. Clemson-Louisville. I was very, very impressed by Clemson in this win. 28 points in that second quarter. Wow. I mean, Deshaun Watson. I thought Lamar Jackson was kind of stepping over Deshaun Watson in that whole dual-threat quarterback role. And he kind of looked like the man. But... I'm so impressed We're with We're setting up
0: for some really exciting games down the road with Miami still undefeated in the ACC. Uh, there's going to be some big clashes. I think certainly there's going to be an ACC team in the college football playoff. And then you look at Ohio State crushing Rutgers 58-0 to and Michigan sneaking by Wisconsin 14-7. That's setting up for a big time game in the Big Ten. I think can we agree that there's going to be a Big Ten school and an ACC school in the college football playoff?
1: Oh, in the College football playoff, definitely. Um, you know, I'm almost leaning on seeing a uh, ACC, Big Ten national championship. Really? I mean, okay. we'll see. What about
0: Alabama?
1: Yeah. I you know, want John Alabama's... Harbaugh
0: or somebody to knock him off?
1: oh <laughs> well, you know, we'll see. I think Alabama's been up there for a long time. I think a lot of these other schools are, and a lot of these other conferences are looking to get into. Uh, that picture is, you know, we're the dynasty, you know, Ohio State, they're up there, they've won the year before last, they're looking to reclaim that title. Uh, it'll, it'll be a battle, I think there's going to be a lot of one-loss teams kind of vying yeah. for that, third, those third and fourth spots.
0: This is a really awesome part of the college football year I enjoy because there's multiple undefeated teams in each conference like even the sec you think it's a down year but tennessee's five and zero, oh, uh winning on that hell mary against georgia which was absolutely insane but tennessee still undefeated um and alabama so even in a down conference like that you still have undefeated teams um and the acc's got undefeated teams the big 10 still got two undefeated teams The Pac-12 a little bit down. I think they're one of the conferences on the outside looking in on the college football playoff. Especially with the strength of the ACC um, and Houston getting that later on in the season matchup against Florida State. If if Houston wins that game and the ACC stays strong, there's a lot of, you know, I almost favor Houston getting into the college football playoff over a Pac-12 school.
1: Yeah, you look at Houston's resume, they beat Oklahoma in the opening uh weekends, they're they're looking pretty good too. Um you know, going back to the Pac twelve, Washington is gonna have to be that team that really makes the Pac twelve really relevant. They're I think they bumped up to number five in the rankings actually after this win against Stanford.
0: Right. And it's and it's like for Washington though, it's like is it, in the Pac twelve it's almost like is it Washington it's almost Washington or nobody now.
1: Yeah, you know, that's how it always seems to be with the Pac-12. I mean, maybe
0: Stanford later There's, on in the year, but it's, yeah, it's you weird. Know, Stanford
1: always seems to lose early in the season and throw itself in the mix at least for a Rose Bowl or something. But this Pac-12 team—I mean, Pac-12 conference—you see Utah getting knocked off as an undefeated team. There's each ball game is a different ball game. Anybody can win on any given weekend. Washington State can win any weekends um colorado can win any weekends arizona it's <laughs> yeah it's just all up for it's grabs. sort of a jumble in the twelve. i would never bet on a Pac 12 game <laughs> only the overs
0: well uh it was a great week in sports and unfortunately we're out of time tune in ne- every tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m this is the sports report so long